Welcome to Oops, I Talk Politics, the left-wing political podcast where we talk about politics in the news and pop culture. I'm Ryan. I'm Sly. I'm Phil. And I'm Daryl. And we're talking about the news, not pop culture this time. We're talking about the most... Did you say nudes? Nudes, <laughs> yeah. Topless Tonight's headlines. We're we talking have... about the news that we were trying to avoid last time by talking about pop culture. Now we're finding a way to confront it after all this time. Yeah. <laughs> so whenever I go to Taco Bell and I get a court, I always get a Supreme Court. Am I right, guys? Wow, what a great <laughs> meeting. Wow. I am blown right. away. And I've that, been Phil. Is that, this is why we were avoiding talking about politics because we forgot how to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's work. yeah, that's not always the kind of asshole that I bring to the show. But this is okay. this is a bit of a tough topic to talk about because developments are still happening, and we're recording this on Thursday, which means we have about a week until you guys hear this podcast. So more yeah. information Thursday may, the 12th. may have come out yeah. since then. If the country exploded in that time, we're sorry for not giving up. <laughs> I, I love how we have to clarify this like every single week when we're talking about news. It's like if we go to war with North Korea. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna start out by talking about uh, Brett Kavanaugh. I'm gonna give a brief overview about him as like. Um, some of his views and leanings and the the trouble we're going to encounter as leftists with him going to the Supreme Court. So according right. to-, to context is uh, for those of you who somehow didn't hear this, uh, J- Justice Kennedy is stepping down from the Supreme Court, leaving Trump an opening to fill. I'm Phil. And <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yep. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Conti- continue. <laughs> yeah. And the one of the reasons why this is a bigger deal than it was before was because a Antonin Scalia who left before was a super conservative piece of shit where Anthony Kennedy was only like half a conservative piece of shit. Right. He was 99 percent. Yes. He was still but... he was socially more liberal. Yeah. Than yeah. And like, he, like generally he was, he was very conservative but on his few key issues. He was a deciding vote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like gay marriage and um, Roe v. Wade, he was like he was on the liberal side. So. This opening now shifts the dynamics before, where before it was, like, Scalia was an asshole and he was replaced by another asshole. So it mm-hmm. was, like, whatever. Yeah, we're fine with giving Trump that vote because it's, like, oh, I mean, technically we weren't because the seat was stolen. Okay. But yeah, it's, I'm like, what reality are we fine with that? Like, yeah, you guys put your body <laughs> yeah we're, we're not fine with it. We want, ideally, we want all of the judges to be as impartial as possible, t- yeah. technically. And but, there's, like you said, there's the whole Merrick Garland stealing thing, which yeah. we could, that's a whole... <laughs> episode that's the whole or maybe a bonus episode oh maybe (laughs) so anyway um brett kavanaugh according to the judicial common space brett kavanaugh was ranked more conservative in his views than anthony kennedy the man he's replacing as well as roberts alito and gorsuch leaving only clarence (laughs) thomas to his right this clarence thomas if if you remember literal rapist yep also doesn't ever talk (laughs) did you say that (laughs) I, I do hear people, People, that's like a meme that he's an idiot, he's going to talk, but apparently he doesn't believe in the discussion. He believes like the cases are what they are, and there's no point discussing in the court, in the court case. Like His whole job is to discuss it. He writes statements, and he says, like, read my statement if you want my opinion. And, and, like, yeah. and I actually, like, I, honestly, that is a kind of a valid way to govern. He, he sounds like the guy that go home and he doesn't talk about work with his wife. But, like, if your job is to, is to rule uh, precedent and... Um, uh, like constitutional law, like you write your why you think so, and maybe if somebody questions you on it, you bring it up. Like. But it's weird because like part of the thing should be that if someone's argument could like convince you or like because but if it does, say- if it's not, if you, are you going to, why talk if you already have if you just say look at my statement, I'm not changing my opinion. Like, <laughs> but I feel like as a judge, it's your job to listen to the whole case and well, then weigh in. Well, like, uh, that's the difference. You think that's your, his job? His job is to <laughs> constitution and precedent, and if nothing else, you can fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is what Sly would be the Thomas of the court. <laughs> I actually would be honest. With you. Yeah. Not changing so, my mind. Execute anyone. Execute the capitalists. Yes. So this means that John Roberts becomes the new swing vote. And keep in mind that in five justice majority decisions, uh, Roberts has an 82% conservative voting record. So from like an overview, things aren't looking good there. Yeah. And if you don't know, like we said, the swing vote is where you're not really sure if they're going to go conservative or liberal, where like mm-hmm. we can assume that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is going to be liberal. And... Just like Clarence Thomas will be conservative. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So there's a couple things to be concerned about with Kavanaugh and the Supreme Court, like his his views. Uh, the first thing is that he wants to expand the executive branch's immunity, where in like uh, 1998 Georgetown Law article that he said that the independent counsel, a position created in the wake of Watergate and currently no longer exists, should be appointed by the president and approved by Congress rather than a panel of judges. Furthermore, in a 2009 Law Review article, he argued that Congress should pass a law exempting a sitting president from criminal investigation and prosecution saying that the indictment and trial of a sitting president, moreover, would cripple the federal government, rendering it unable to function with credibility in either the international or domestic arenas. Has he always felt this way, Daryl? Did you guys read that article? The 2009 one? No, I have not read the... the I, I read through it just because everyone was talking about that specific thing, mm-hmm. the civil and criminal thing. It, it was actually kind of interesting because he was writing this under... while well, Obama was president, so it wasn't like he was saying this with Trump in mind. Mm-hmm. And he was also talking about... Um, like Because for as much as people were like he's a puppet of uh, the right, like he, all, he shit on um, the CIA and Bush for... Um, for the Saddam Hussein weapons of mass destruction thing. And he also defended Clinton in in the Jones versus Clinton case, uh, where, what's her, uh, what's her first name? So whatever Jones was uh, accusing him of sexual assault, saying that it um, th- this should wait till after because it hurts the, like he shouldn't have been impeached. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thing because like, uh, the, uh, the common sentiment around now, or the fact being tossed around now, is that he was part of Ken Starr's investigation into Clinton in the first place. And uh, so, like, he, he, people were saying, oh, he was fine of impeaching a president then. But uh, apparently not, according to that article. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I've heard that he was, like, he worked with Ken Starr to investigate the Monica Lewinsky s- scandal. Mm-hmm. He did, but then apparently later he was like, this was a waste of resources. Huh. It, it was, it was after he, uh, George Bush, because George Bush appointed him to something, I think to the D.C. Yeah. circuit. Yeah, and, and it's possible he could, he could change his mind, like especially if you're part of something. No, else. he got it. He writes it down, and that's it. There's no discussing. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, yeah, he did change his mind. That is an, an important thing to keep in mind with that. Uh, he also said in that article possible concern for um, the president being exempt from cr- criminal investigation and prosecution is that the country needs a check against a bad behavior or law-breaking president, but the Constitution already provides that check. If the president does something dastardly, the impeachment process is available. No single prosecutor, judge, or jury should be able to accomplish what the Constitution assigns to Congress. And that's mm-hmm. something I've looked at when I was looking at a few of the cases that he's done, is he is very big. He's an originalist, which is he looks at what the Founding Fathers intended in the Constitution and tries mm-hmm. to base a lot of his beliefs on that, even if it goes against the grain of traditional conservative beliefs like yeah. um, freedom of religion. Yeah, it is pretty interesting. He talks a lot about, uh, not a lot, but he has, he's written so many opinions at this point because he's been a judge forever mm-hmm. that like a lot, you can you can look at a big, pretty big body of work and a lot of times he's like, I don't personally agree with this, but you know, if the, 
if it's constitutional, it's constitutional. Mm-hmm. The thing about that, though, is, like, I would agree with that, that, like, I do, especially with, like, political appointments, like, judges, they're not supposed to be political, but, like, they always are. Mm-hmm. I understand, like, leaving it up to the Senate and the House, which are more, you know, that are more directly answering to the people. I get that. But, like, in Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell's Congress, that's not anything. Like, that's yep. they're not checking anything. So, like... That, that's always been the problem with people saying it's like, well, you know, leave the system to work because the system does work. We have checks and balances against these things. It's like, not when they're all in cahoots together. Yeah. But but that, then that, is that a problem with the court or or the... Like, at that point, there's such a f- institutional problem with everything. If every branch yeah. of government is corrupt, then mm-hmm. are you... Like, is the system broken or is all the people we're electing corrupt assholes? You know what I mean? Well, then, I mean, it all goes back to money and politics and gerrymandering, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, are you going to mention uh, uh, Trump's relationship with Justice Kennedy and how it led to Kavanaugh, Daryl? No, I wasn't going to. Apparently, like they were, uh, his Justice Roberts' son Kennedy. was part of the New York uh, real estate uh, you know, area, whatever you want to call it, market. Uh, and uh, they're very good close friends. And... Uh, so uh, Kennedy and Trump are very, are very are very close together in that way. Uh, one of the things, too, is Kennedy talked to Trump, f- from what I've gathered. I've, I've read a couple articles about how Kennedy was like, I don't know if I should retire, but if I do retire, will you pick Kavanaugh? Because he's like, he works for me. And Trump was like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. Hmm. Which, I don't know, that seems kind of weird to me. Oh, yeah. I, I think uh, Gorsuch was a, can- uh, was, um, a Kennedy aide, too. Yes. Uh, How was he? Both of them went to like uh, they studied under the same person, I think. Yeah, and I, I believe um, like a lot of Trump's federal appointments, were, uh, like the other uh, court appointments, were candy were Kennedy aligned people too. Like like it's a very seems like a very quick pro crow when you look at it, like and from the outside. Yeah, especially because we we don't we're probably not going to touch on it too much in this episode, and a lot of people don't talk about this because everyone's focused on the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. but. The federal court system is, is actually very large, and the lower courts do most of the work, actually. The Supreme yes. Court sees mm-hmm. only a few cases per year. Um, like, 8,000 get submitted to that level, but they can only do a few dozen. So uh, the, the federal court system is the largest, is a much larger apparatus, and Trump also gets to appoint federal judges there. Yes. And oftentimes can have more so, widespread... Um, Effect than the I'm going to talk about that a little bit. So yeah. uh, the uh, the sun thing is uh, is like an incidental thing that seems suspicious. But one source from NBC claims that Justice Kennedy had been negotiating with the Trump team for months over his replacement, and uh, so it was very much a quid pro quo. I retire, you, you, I pick your replacement. So, uh, oh, so, I see. Yes, and uh, the, when NBC asked the Trump the Trump White House, the Trump White House didn't deny it. Uh, so. Uh, it seems pretty suspicious. That seems like a very uh, like we talk about being a political. It seems very much like Kennedy was like, uh, you you pick my guys into into court and I'll retire and give you a Supreme Court pick. Uh. Uh, th- this is why administration is so fucked up. That when you said uh, they didn't deny it, I was like, if they didn't lie about it, for some reason that makes me believe it less. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, super apolitical uh, court justice here. Yeah, yeah. He is pretty old to be on- to be fair. Kennedy is like eighty two or something, and that that is beyond uh retirement age <laughs> yeah but if you're yeah. tired even like uh after the, the 2018 elections it'll be a very different it's, it's yeah. a very calculated yeah. position that's mm-hmm. for sure yeah. yeah yeah and sure. also like it's funny because mitch mcconnell didn't want kavanaugh because since he has such a long uh, history career uh mcconnell worries it's gonna take too long and they're gonna go uh not be able to get him in before the 2018 elections mm-hmm. 
So yeah, mm-hmm. of uh, of the three old white guys that were on the list uh, that was given to Trump by a like right wing think tank, he was the one McConnell wanted the least. Yeah. <laughs> the other big case coming into question is going to uh, is about the abortion rights granted to women in Roe v. Wade, which could potentially be overturned and thereby make abortion legal in twenty two states. Or what is also a possibility is that the states will start to chip away at the abortion rights, and any case that makes it up to the courts will be defended by conservative justices. Um, when asked in a 2006 D.C. Circuit confirmation hearing if he considered Roe v. Wade to be an abomination, he replied, If confirmed to the D.C. Circuit, I would follow Roe v. Wade faithfully and fully. That would be binding precedent of the court. When asked what his own opinion was, he repeated those words. So that's one of the things where he says, that, again, like he'll defend it, but a lot of people are speculating it's, it's different when you're a Supreme, Supreme court, court justice and you're For deciding sure. the precedents. Yeah, he's saying uh, if I was in the job that has to listen to the Supreme Court, I would listen to the Supreme yeah, Court. Yeah, like, not... I'd do my job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, what a leading question. Uh, how, how do you feel about this abomination? Uh, that's Senator Chuck Schumer for you. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, two other things to look out for is he thinks the Consumer F- Financial Protection Bureau, the agency Obama put together to protect people from predatory lending that caused the 2008 housing crisis, has too much power and is unconstitutional. And that the NSA surveillance operations does not, con- like, the surveillance operations they did do not constitute a search under the Fourth Amendment. And even if it did, the government has a special need to prevent terrorism. So full uh, violations of privacy are fine, but you can't ever say anything bad about a business. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Cool. So that, that's basically like a rundown of what we know about Kavanaugh so far. There may be more points of discussions later in the week as things unfold. But one of the things I want to talk about is on July 9th, the New York Times published an op-ed titled A Liberal's Case for Brett Kavanaugh, (laughs) written by Yale Law School professor Akil Reed Amar. And I'm curious what you guys think about this. Amar starts by saying that he strongly supported Hillary Clinton for president, as well as Supreme Court nominee Merrick Garland, as his, like, these are his liberal credentials. And from what I can tell from what I read the article, Amar makes two points. Can you guys guess what those two points would be in this article? Um, He's the best we're going to get. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the best we're going to get. And he's not He's not Giuliani. <laughs> that's, that's how I felt. I was like, that's how I hey, felt. it's not Giuliani. I'm going to say that because it's a New York Times editorial from a liberal... I'm going to say that it's because the system and the precedents in place, we can't be obstructionist. We have oh, to let Trump pick. Man, these are really good guesses. <laughs> so I, I, now the first is that um, Kevin has stellar credentials. His opinions have been cited in Supreme Court decisions. He has sent many of his law clerks across the ideological spectrum to clerk for the justices of the Supreme Court. And he has taught law courses and published law review articles. As well as he's willing to admit to and learn from past mistakes. Like we brought up with um, him being under Ken Starr and uh, during the, the whole impeachment process or advocating for it. Uh, the second point, and I think this is the far more interesting one that Ryan hit on, is that he levies um, Amar, the writer of the article, levies a compromise to Democrats, which is Either vote yes, or if you vote no, name two Republican candidate nominees that are more worthy of the position. And he puts in parentheses, not an easy task. He, he says that Dems can ask for, in return, that Kavanaugh answer all, que- all fair questions at the confirmation hearing. 
He goes on to clarify that if Kavanaugh says he'll abide by the decision of Roe v. Wade, that Dems can't ask for a pledge since that's a violation of judicial independence, but they would get an honest discussion of his legal views. And if this sounds a little confusing, it's like, like, why would this be a good point to vote for him? The very last paragraph of the article gets to the true intention of Omar's argument. The compromise I'm proposing would depart from recent confirmation practice, but the current confirmation process is badly broken, alternating between rubber stamps and witch hunts. My proposal would enable such constitutional actor to once again play its proper constitutional role. The Senate could become a venue for serious constitutional conversation, and the nominee could demonstrate his or her consummate legal skill. And equally important, Judge Kavanaugh could be confirmed with 90-something Senate votes he deserves rather than 50-something Senate votes he's likely to get. So, yeah. Oh, this will be we, a return to form. Yeah, fuck off. Yeah, like, it's, it's, I like that the, like, the liberal case for for this is basically he's he has a lot of credentials, which is true, but also, like, we should be taking the high road, guys. Like, come on. But, he's but, worthy I want to mention other articles this guy wrote. Uh, oh boy, so prof- I was doing investigation in the background. The, the liberal law professor who agrees with Scalia. <laughs> and oh, wow. what Gorsuch has in common with liberals. So this guy can fuck off. He's just a fucking uh, a, a plan to try to justify uh, a conservative no, p- judges. He supported for Clinton's like. Yeah. Oh, the, the most liberal litmus test. Did you support Hillary Clinton? <laughs> I can. I can like un- like I can understand the Kavanaugh arguments almost, mm-hmm. uh, at least the he has credentials one. But if he supported Scalia as a liberal, I, I, it's really hard for me to. Yeah. Also, uh, also, what was funny is a third of the way through that article that I read in parentheses, he, it he says disclaimer: uh, I was Kavanaugh's professor at Yale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so it's like okay, buddy. Yeah. The, the thing with this fucking argument is like, yeah, in in a perfect world, I would fully agree that like. I think having a system where only when the Senate and the president are the same party get Supreme Court justices appointed, I hate that. Like, I hate that that's the status quo and it's total bullshit. But we, he, like, Mitch McConnell kept a seat open for a year. Like, he stole a Supreme Court seat. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's no other way to say it. He stole that seat. So it's not, oh, let's return to form. It's, no, it's either never get any more liberal judges or stop conservative judges. It's we don't have a. It's not a like one or like. Or pack that. the courts. Just, or or pack the courts. After yeah. You win. Like, yeah. So uh, that's an interesting point, Ryan. That wait, um, Sly, it's, Sly, what is packing the courts? Just for people that may not know about that option. Basically, there's no set number to the courts. We just arbitrarily. <gasps> like I think it was less when like seven it was, when. Yeah. And then now it's nine. Like it's an arbitrary number, and at times when like one side wants to just uh, win the Supreme Court, they just pack the court when their side wins. Specifically, the case that everyone talks about with packing the courts is when FDR was president. Um, he was meeting a lot of opposition with his New Deal uh, legislation. Mm. So he's like, "Fuck it, I'm going to make 15 Supreme Court justices <laughs> so that I can add six, and then they'll always win." <laughs> why? Why is it nine though? Like, what? What? What to that fucking? Uh, like, I don't. I don't know actually when it was set to nine, but it was pretty early on, and. It hasn't stayed nine the whole time. Like sometimes there have been uh, absences where someone was either sick or died, and they had eight for a while. Um, I think nine was kept as mostly because it's uh, it's tie proof, and you get a you get a decent amount of discussion. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I just want to point out why this is even considered like a fight is because right now, since Harry Reid got rid of the filibuster. 
and it's speculated that they will all that Mitch McConnell will do that for Supreme Court justices. We would you need 50 votes and then Pence would be the tie breaking vote. And because John McCain is unable to vote because he's out sick, they Republicans only have 51 and Democrats. So he have 51 votes. So Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski are the like, maybe could they're cause they're pro choice Republicans. And then we also have to watch Democrats like Joe Manchin, Heidi Heidkamp and Claire McCaskill are red state Democrats. Doug Jones. That, and, and Doug Jones. Yeah. Cause they, well, Doug Jones didn't vote for Gorsuch because he wasn't a senator yet, but they're like the ones that are most likely to vote. So if we lose one or two of those Democrats, that's it. Mm-hmm. And But if we can flip those couple of Republicans like we did to save the Affordable Care Act, but didn't pull off to, to stop that tax bill, like it's possible. If it was any other circumstances, it would just be like, there's no chance. Mm-hmm. But there's a small, small window that I still don't... I don't think we have a chance to stop it, but, like, it is technically yeah. possible. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting, you guys mentioned before how the way it has worked pretty recently is um, when the party in power is in power, they just put... They put their judge up, and if the if Cong- if the Senate is the same party as the president, he gets it. And if he's not, he doesn't get it. And... Or, he get, or he gets a very severely compromised one. Right, right. So, like, yeah. Obama picked Merrick Garland kind of to try to compromise with the Republican Senate. Um, not that they went for it, mm-hmm. even though they originally were like, he should pick someone like Merrick Garland. But anyway. Yeah, they um, didn't even have a hearing. That's yeah. <laughs> that's the big point that I want to point out is there is a middle ground that I think this editorial you mentioned doesn't talk about. And we haven't talked about here is you can go in and give them a hearing and still all vote no. Mm-hmm. The, the difference is Mitch McConnell didn't even give him a chance to make a case mm-hmm. on why he should be the justice. And I listened to an interview with a senator. I don't remember who it was, but they were like, I have no intention of voting for someone like Neil Gorsuch. This is before Kavanaugh was picked. But I think it's important that we actually let him have his hearing and give him a chance. And then, like, I'm I'm for a conservative justice replacing a swing vote. I'm pr- you can be pretty confident that I'm a no, but it is important to go through the procedure instead of just no, I'm not doing it for a year. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's and it's actually pretty unprecedented. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the history of the court system, um the federal court system that is. And that you guys said before how there's no actual set number. The, the actual basis of the Supreme Court comes from Article 3 in the Constitution. And it actually gives very little information. It says there's going to be a court and people are going to serve. <laughs> really, honestly, it says there's going to be a court uh, and people can serve uh, as long as they have good behavior. So people took that to mean for life as long as they're not impeached. This, this is what frustrates me about like originalists about the Constitution is like when you hold this document to like an eternal standard. Of looking this at where it's like... that was made for 18th century agrarian society as <laughs> yeah. a document for a modern day industrial society for a bunch of white landowning men. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it would be cool to like update it, but well, like, did people live to fucking 90 back then? <laughs> they they sometimes did, sometimes, but like enough <laughs> that coming. that's like you have a whole Supreme Court of 80 like what if they become yeah. immortal? Did the founding fathers factor that potential <laughs> in? But, but well, you have to have an amendment then until the 1980s. Um, most of them generally tied around, I forget what age, 65. Like now it's they, now everyone's holding on until their last dying breath. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, until uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like, I hope she lives forever. 
a lot of them are doing that now where they're just like, I'm not going to retire until uh, the president of my political party is in power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but so even even the powers given to the court aren't really in the Constitution. This comes from the very first landmark case of the Supreme Court, Marbury versus Madison, where I'm, uh, we don't have to get into the details of it, but essentially they give themselves the power to review laws as being constitutional or not. And this power is called judicial review. And this is basically the big thing where they, the Supreme Court empowered themselves with the power to, with this case, review whether or not a law is constitutional or not. Not just laws, actually. Statutes and other, any government um, order, statute, laws. Yep. Whether or not it is constitutional or not. And this is, I would argue, a very important function because um, you're always going to have lawmaking as part of any government. And without an independent board to kind of argue one way or another, especially a board of legal scholars, um, I think you get into you get into very messy situations. Like the Supreme Court also exists for when states like sue each other, which ha- actually happens a lot. Uh, you need to have a federal group to, you know, argue one side or the other. Well, we have um, states suing the federal government all the time. Too. Yeah. Yeah. You need like you, there needs to be someone to rule in these cases. Um and there's, there's like two big mindsets when it comes to the Supreme Court. Um, some judges um, feel that they should be ju- like judicial activists, which they feel like it is their job to make the country better by being very active in their rulings, uh, striking down lots of laws um, that they feel are unconstitutional. Where then you have judicial restraint, which as the name implies, the idea is we rule as little as possible and only when there is no alternative, like when a case comes to us that must be ruled on. That's, a, that's my, my my general problem with the Supreme Court for ages has always been uh, they're pretty much the only acting body in the government that actually adjusts the Constitution at all. It's it's nine unelected people that are, that have the final say on any anything. In yeah, that that, that, that is a weird like pro- aspect about it is that yeah, they, and, they're and, unelected. And, yeah, and the only and they're the only ones that have any uh, uh, constitutional amendment powers anymore because like it's possible to get an amendment through or anything like that mm. and, and and with and with that in mind uh they're all pretty much activists now because like all the stuff we're talking about them being apolitical is is fancy like but the thing point... is at the same time i don't think that's necessarily good or bad because like if they weren't but like if we didn't have someone as active as like ruth bader ginsburg and sonia sotomayor we wouldn't have like gay marriage and and like Obamacare but the question wouldn't is, have been upheld and like things like that. Like, I feel like it depends. But do you want that to report? So, yeah, and, that's the question is like uh, the, the, even the dissenting case in the gay marriage case, uh, what is Obergefell versus Hodges, I think mm-hmm. um, the the art, the dissenting opinion was even from people actually said, I actually think uh, same sex marriage should be legal, but it's not the court's job to mm-hmm. enforce that. But. The other argument is the Constitution, 14th Amendment, the, uh, has the Equal Protection Clause, which says states cannot deny equal protection of the law to any citizens. Mm-hmm. You can look at that and say, if you're denying them the ability to get married, you are denying them equal protection under the law. Mm-hmm. And actually, the 14th Amendment is the one that comes up almost always in these social issue cases, mm-hmm. because if it, that's a pretty broad statement. Even yeah. though it was a, it was a Civil War amendment, um, are, like supposed to give the newly freed slaves uh, equal rights, you can... You can use that in a lot of situations. Yeah, because as more and more marginalized groups get normalized and recognized, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, that's they, you they know, fall it's under like, that banner. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but the flip side of that is uh, the Supreme Court under the 14th Amendment shouldn't have had the right to vote on the Voting Rights Act or dismantle it. 
because they should not uh, they, they'd have a 40 over a constitutional amendment but since they're the only ones that have any 40 over a constitutional amendment so now they, they uh, undid uh, undid it for, for the voting rights act that's true yeah that's true. And, and i was gonna say how a lot of people the, the traditional stance was liberals in american liberals tend to be the judicial activists whereas american conservatives tend to be the judicial um, historically not recently. yeah and actually i don't know if ever it was that much because you can even look at something like citizens united that's judicial activism from conservative judges. Like yeah. it's not yeah, as well, simple. Actually, recently, as... I see since the eighties, like eighties. When... Yeah, 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 yeah. So I actually wanted to mention that. Speaking of the eighties, um, we often think of the Supreme Court as this this system where we have uh, what what it has been lately is we have four conservatives, four liberals, one centrist, and every case is decided five four, one way or the other, with the four liberals voting liberal, four conservatives voting conservative, and then you have fucking Kennedy. Uh, you really only have one justice. Yeah, and this is actually a pretty new development. Um, I read this uh, journal article where they did a study of 71 landmark cases from 1790 to 1937, and in which there was at least two dissenting votes. So it's not the unanimous cases, which are actually the most common. 9-0 is one of the most common uh, rulings. They, really? they are often unanimous, yeah. Um, in, in historically, not recently. And in, in those 71 cases, uh, only one was split directly on party lines. Wow. So that is this, this development where the Republicans favor the Republican stance, the Democrats favor the Democrat stance is, is pretty much since like the 1970s or eighties. Um, and I think we've kind of talked about this in past episodes. The government has kind of been doing that in general, or the country has kind of been like that in general since the 1970s and 80s. Um, yeah. As Washington has become more polarized in general, so has the Supreme Court. Um, but that is not the traditional, like, that's not how the court traditionally used to work. It, it, it often, judges would um, rule on a vast, or like a variety of cases in different ways. And it's interesting to read the majority and dissenting opinions in those cases because you, you don't all it's not like now where every time a liberal case um in the past 20 years was ruled you could see fucking scalia's dissenting opinion every time uh <laughs> there, there was a variety of them doing that and so that's a pretty it's a pretty modern thing and I, I know a lot of people or at least sly can be pretty down on the supreme court because like he said um you know it's nine people who are unelected but when when I when the government wor- is working the way it's supposed to, when the three branches actually work, you have the president appointing them, but usually with a, a lot of um, advice, and you have then the Congress who has to approve them. When, well, according right now, to Kavanaugh, Trump has gotten more advice than any president in history to pick this <laughs> Supreme Court justice. That's, that's what he says. Yeah, because uh, he got from Justice Kennedy. Kennedy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... You know, now it's become a lot of rubber stamping, and which is actually a problem. But I don't know if it's necessarily a problem with the Supreme Court system or just the fact that our democracy is like failing in general. Well, the the, part, the, the way I view it is, somebody had an analogy that I think is pretty apt. It's like when when free game first comes out, everyone's having fun of like the like the way everyone thinks the game should be played, and everyone's just enjoying the game as it is. And then, uh, but then like the top tier players, they figure out like, oh, uh, if you exploit this bl- bug. You can get to level uh, to 100 really fast. 
And like basically, the Republicans figure out that bug, and now they're, they're getting their all their congressmen and senators level hundred, and Democrats <laughs> are trying to catch up. And like the game is now fully broken; no one's playing it the way it was intended to. But there's no plans for anyone to have a bug fix because who the fuck is the developer anymore? Well, the developer is the American people, but they all believe that they're doing the right thing by supporting the bugs. <laughs> so yeah. Republicans are just fucking us in the meta game. Yeah, they're yeah. Meta- or, or, the, or the people just start to enjoy it now, where everyone's like, "Fox only Final Destination is the <laughs> yeah. way this is meant Fox to be played." Fox only. Oh no. <laughs> No, you, you get it, though? Fox News only? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Final Destination, Final Earth, because we're going to get killed by climate yeah. change. But yeah. I will say, historically, I think the, the Supreme Court, if you look at the, the vast majority of the landmark cases that, have, that they've ruled on, have generally been a force for good in the United States because the government will pass some kind of law or have an amendment like the Equal Protection Clause in the 14th Amendment, and some states don't adopt it because we live in a federal system where states have their own laws, and the Supreme Court will usually enforce this. So, you know, the, the big ones we can all think of, Brown versus Board of Education, desegregated uh, schools and then eventually society in general, um, Roe versus Wade, Miranda versus Arizona. Um, I can't think of that many off the top of my head, but... I mean, Ogreville versus Hodges is a big one. Yeah, yeah. Or New Jersey versus TLO, where you can't, uh, you know, school rights. Or Tinker versus Des Moines, a school um, freedom of speech in schools. Like... That, that, that students have the right to have political speech. Um, these are all cases that probably most states would not actually have passed laws uh, in favor of, but mm-hmm. they looked at this and said the First Amendment literally says freedom of expression, and you can't deny that if they're not disrupting school, things like that. I think are, it, it is important to have a body of judges that rule on this stuff, and it is very unfortunate how polarized and politicized it's become. Um, it, it's not that these people didn't have political parties in the past. Like they, they Obviously, when you grow up, and you live in the world, you have worldview that yeah. you're not going to just shed when you hit the court. But for the most part, it seems like historically they tried to really stick to what does the Constitution say and how does it apply. And that has really faded away in, in recent years. Well, I, I, we talked about this in the neoliberal episode, but like it can, a lot of it can be traced back to in the 70s when the business class really started becoming political. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck the bourgeoisie. Yeah. <laughs> Which is us too, though, so... Is it? You, <laughs> are we bougie? Yeah. Of course we are. Are you working class? Do you do you labor with your hands and every day? I don't think so. <laughs> well, uh, when you talk about middle class, um, like, are you going to are you going to say we're in the middle between uh, for the fucking poor and the fucking rich? The, no, like but the fact that we have rich. the fact yeah. that we have uh, luxury and creature comforts, uh, I think, would not That's put true. us in the in the the working class that like Marx was talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but well, we're not. Two hundred thousand is what Obama and Mitt Romney agree was middle class. We're not in the fucking brackets. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not saying we're middle class. Uh, I'm saying I think we might get executed in a proletariat revolution. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be I'll be I'll be willing to die if. if <laughs> Okay. Oh, of course. <laughs> By the way, I should point yeah. out that Marx uh, would call us the petite bourgeois, <laughs> which is uh, we have luxuries of bourgeoisie, but we're not exactly uh, bourgeois. Yeah, we're not the we don't own the means of production like you was yeah. saying. It's just that we also like have people who cook for us when we go out to eat, and mm. you know that, that that's that's pretty bougie. <laughs> but it's petite. Yeah. You gotta keep that. Yeah, yeah, we're petite. Yeah. Very yeah. very small bougie. Yeah. So okay, one thing I want to the thing that I want to talk about is when, Phil, you mentioned the increasing polarity and, like, the more back and forth the two parties are with the courts. And I want to talk about how Trump has actually not stacked the courts by adding new judges, but just filled so many seats because of what we were talking about, where Mitch McConnell kept a lot of seats open. And 
when you look at just the numbers overall, he has only confirmed 43 Article Three judges at, at, as of July 10th, which is one Supreme Court justice, 22 judges for the Court of Appeals, 20 for the district courts, and no judges of international trade. But we compare that to Obama. In Obama's eight years, he only had two Supreme Court justices, 55 judges to the Court of Appeals, and 268 district court judges, and four judges to international trade. So when we look at that Court of Appeals, Obama had 55 over eight years, and Trump already has 22. That's and, crazy. And, and that wasn't like an accident. Uh, I think you mentioned this, but uh, they were all filibustered, all of yeah. those picks. Yeah. Oh, we should mention what that is because um, we often, you know, th- there's actually like tiers of courts and you have like local or district courts mm-hmm. where if someone commits a crime, Ryan steals a car, he's going to go to trial court. And let's say they're like, uh, you know, you're guilty. He wants to appeal it. He goes to the second tier, which is the court of appeals, which is going to review the proceedings of the first case. They're not necessarily going to like hear the whole case again. They just see to make sure that the first case followed the law, the letter of the law. And then... If you appeal from the Court of Appeals, that's when you hit the Supreme Court. And this system works federally or in within a state. So, like, New York has trial court. There's a New York Court of Appeals and there's a New York Supreme Court. So both federal and state have the three levels of, like, trial court or district court, uh, court of appeals, and then Supreme Court. What's a federal district court? So I actually know a little bit about this because I worked at a bail bonds office for five years. In for a So when there's like a district court case when you have a felony case it has to go to the county court Hmm. and so that's like so at a district court case it's right it's ranked just it's it's deliberated just by a judge but at a at a court at a county court level that's when you actually have a jury and everything so like when it gets and then the federal level is usually just like when it's a federal crime versus exactly yeah crime Federal crimes, so like killing someone, you're always going to end up in your state court system, really. But if you went to three different states and killed people, mm-hmm. okay, or you counterfeited money or something like that, like if, when you break federal law, yeah, yeah, treason, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep, that, that's where you'll go. So one of the, th- I, I just, I'm looking at a Washington Post article from July of 2017, which is a while ago, but I just want to talk about how the first six months of Trump's uh, presidency, how many judges he got relative to other presidents. So Ronald Reagan, in the first six, six months, named six months. Six months, named <laughs> one Supreme months. Court justice and five lower court justice, uh, five lower court judges. George H. W. Bush had four lower court nominations. Bill Clinton had one Supreme Court, but no lower court judges. George W. Bush had four lower court judges, and no Supreme Court justices. And Barack Obama, one of the more successful ones, had one Supreme Court justice and nine lower court judges judges but trump had gorsuch on the supreme court and 27 lower court judges by mid-july that's three times obama and more than double reagan uh the first bush and clinton combined Mm -hmm. and that's because he like um he got all obama's picks essentially like uh those seats were all vacant and um the the congress was so determined to make sure he didn't get those seats filled they actually uh uh like they're they're refused to even let him have a recess appointment. They had this technicality. Apparently, if Congress just has like aides come into Congress and say we're in session, it counts them being in session. So Obama couldn't even do recess appointments. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, I, I know, I know because I was, act- I was actually like I was I was doing research for uh, one of my like web comics, and I was looking. Well, how does a regular session of Congress goes? And I had to go back really far to find an actual session of Congress. Every session was like a bunch of aides showing up saying. Oh, we're in we session now. Now we're longer session. Good session. And that, that was pretty much it. Like five minutes. <laughs> yeah. And the reason why... They are that... metagaming there. <laughs> yeah. 
as Phil mentioned, that Court of Appeals, the reason why that Court of Appeals is so important is because 95% of federal cases are decided there and don't make it to the Supreme Court. And no president before Trump named more than three in the first six months, six months, and he's named nine. So he is on pace, well, as of July, to double the number of federal judges. I don't have the exact numbers right now, but he has completely blown everything out of the water as far as precedent. And the reason why one of these things is so important is, like Phil said, these are lifetime appointments. And Obama's average nominee was 55 years old, and Trump's average is 48. Now, seven years doesn't seem like a lot at first, but that means that they could sit through almost two full presidential terms than Obama's. So that means if they were going to retire and they were Obama's age, it might be a president of the other party. But with having that extra seven years, it gives you enough time to hold out to maybe someone in your own party to get replaced like we saw in the Kennedy case. Especially with the back and forth nature of mm-hmm. politics. Where, yeah. Uh, people are usually, you know upset after a certain party wins and then when the, the party loses the incumbency and now they have to battle the new candidate on the on the platform of the previous candidate's success without that candidate's charisma and yes. uh, incumbency, now they're more likely to fail. And one of the reasons why this is so terrible is because now if you go to a federal case, if you have a federal case at the circuit court, you have a one in eight chance of having a Trump judge. So, yeah, that's and these these people are going to be the judges probably until at least 2050. So he has completely filled the courts for decades and decades. So it's not just we got to win the midterms or we got to take back the Senate or we got to win in 2020. This effect, the Trump effect in the courts will be felt for a full generation, Mm -hmm. if not longer. Mm -hmm. I want to say maybe they're not all just partisan hacks, but one recent times have Made me think, of course they are. Well, let's take a look at that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, there's, when you look at some of the history of Trump's nominees, one blogged that Kennedy was a judicial prostitute for trying to find a middle ground. He strongly disagreed with the court's decision striking down prosecution of gay people under sodomy laws. Another equated Roe v. Wade with a, the, the Dred Scott decision, finding that black people could not be citizens. One advocated an Alabama law that denied counsel to death row inmates. And, yes, yeah, so they're not good. <laughs> and this is the problem because the Republicans, Trump ran on, I'm going to fill with judges. And what I've seen from a lot of conservatives, both voters and senators, is this is how they deal with Trump's terribleness is when you look after Gorsuch, his popularity went up a lot. And when you poll people, they say, I don't agree with a lot of things he's doing. I don't really necessarily like the way he's handled North Korea or anything. I don't like his tweets. I don't like his tweets. But Gorsuch is great, and he represents me, and everything he's done with the courts keeps me going. And that's one of those things that liberals haven't really cared that much about the Supreme Court. And the fact that... Trump won after McConnell stole that seat kind of shows that it's not a real big issue for a lot of us. And like, I hope that's changing now that it's, he's been well, a president for a year and a half. Reasons I voted in 2016. I was like, no matter what you think about Hillary and everything, you want a liberal Supreme court justice. Like you want yeah. someone on the left, which is why you said that Trump ran on packing the court. He mentioned it a lot. Okay. I don't mean it was his main issue, but he mentioned it 
a lot. Because I, I, I didn't remember. It might have just been campaign. me tuning that out because I didn't take him seriously. But well, I don't one of the reasons that. why it stood out to me is because it was like one of the only issues that he mentioned that wasn't just like bullshit rhetoric. Hmm. Like he did say, like we got to get the courts, and he would say, like Hillary's trying to take all your guns away. Mm-hmm. We we need judges, and like he actually ragged on it a lot more than I like than we noticed because I think it was. We we focused on the, like, horrible things he was saying, but a lot of conservatives heard that and were like, well, I don't necessarily agree with this or that, but the, but, you know, he does keep saying judges, and that is something that Republicans and conservatives have been, like Phil and Sly mentioned earlier, more activist in that regard later, hmm. uh, lately. So one of the things that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode is that uh, one of the things that Democrats also haven't been doing is they Democrats don't really listen to progressive think tanks or legal groups where Trump literally just takes lists from the Federalist Society mm-hmm. and is just like, these are the judges I'm going to pick from. And he puts them out and then conservatives see, even if they don't like Trump, this list, I can vet all these judges ahead of time and know that he's going to pick someone that supports me. And well, it's, it's the, the thing th- just like with Paul Ryan just wanting the tax plan to get go yes. through trump is just a vehicle no matter how noxious and awful he is he is a vehicle for their plans yeah yes that's why uh, i i get shitting on trump but like when you shit on trump never forget like trump when you when you get rid of trump it's not gonna it's gonna solve a lot of issues mm-hmm. but it's not gonna solve every issue in this country because the problem is you have this whole entire party it yep. sense everything as, as a lot of people yeah. say yep. trump yep. is a symptom of the problem not the root yeah. yeah and that's how i feel often when when we're talking about how this is broken that's broken i'm like it is essentially because every single person in the Republican Party in government is in cahoots to just break it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that's not like that, that. That is a bigger problem yeah. than just yeah. like when, just ev- one when, bad when, president. when Mitch McConnell keeps getting reelected. That is a problem. Yeah. Like, yeah, that that is why things are broken. Not because I don't I don't think the system is so badly flawed that uh, that this happens. It's because everyone in the Republican Party in government. Largely, not everyone, maybe, but most, mm, most. are willing to put and the federal to, level. yeah, the federal level are often willing to put um, their party buddy buddy ship uh, like in always ahead of how it would affect the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. They're like, this is what we want as a group, and a lot of that too is because I think they realize that demographic shifts and like generational shifts are pushing people more and more liberal, and the only way they can continue to win is to game the system. Mm-hmm. And two of the things I want to point out that they've actually done is, one, the Trump administration sent the American Bar Association in where they they sent them a letter basically like, we don't give a shit about you anymore, where they used to have a semi-official role where they would evaluate candidates and give them, like, a nonpartisan, like, are they, you know, they would rate them. And, like, it's... It's not necessarily like he says it's because they favored liberals, but Gorsuch got the highest rating possible. So I don't <laughs> think it's that. But basically, they just don't give a shit. It's like how the how the Office of Budget Management, uh, which is an independent federal group that talks about how the budget's going to work, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Hey, this Trump uh, tax plan is going to add to the budget," and they're just like, "Shh, we're passing." Yeah, it they're like, talk. "It's liberal," even though everyone there is appointed by Trump. <laughs> not everyone. Yeah, really, it's charge. crazy. Well, they don't lose. Like, if the government crashes and uh, like if the government, I shouldn't say crashes. If it crashes, they'll be fucked. But uh, <laughs> that's why we'll have, we'll have quantity of easing and stuff like that to make sure it doesn't happen. But if the government stops working for the everyday per- person, that's in their benefit. And mm-hmm. if, and if, if they make much money in the meantime, that's to the benefit as well. It's always yeah. the, the most frustrating thing about um, Republican rhetoric is that it works no matter what they do. 
Yeah, well, and then when you look at the hypocrisy, not only with the American Bar thing, because Garland also got the highest rating, but one of the things is the blue slip policy, which is, it was like a, it was part of the policy where judicial nominations wouldn't proceed unless the nominee's home state senators consented to it. So, like, if you picked a senator from New York, the New York, I mean, a judge from New York, the New York senators had to approve of it first. And it was used constantly during Obama's term to hold back judges. And it's one of the main reasons why Trump entered with 120 judicial vacancies to fill. But as soon as Trump took over in May, they were like, oh, we're getting rid of that. We don't need that anymore. So now the blue slip is gone, which is part of the way that we would fight against terrible judges. Hmm. So... What are you going to do, right? What are you going to do? Well, there's shit on the table. I guess we could just shit our pants. I think that's definitely one of the, like... The, the, the agony of the 2016 election isn't just like the ramifications from it and it's it's yeah. like a lot of us that we realized we're like oh my god like how can so much of america support a president of this terrible quality but it was yeah. also it's us slowly now clawing away at the truth and honesty like what america is and who we've been electing and what republicans have been doing and what neoliberals have been doing for decades and decades and decades and realizing how like corrosive and corrupt the system is yeah. now, it's really awful it's scary to me too the the breakdown of uh procedure and and precedent is is mm-hmm. particularly scary to me because like you can look at something like antebellum united states like how you also saw a breakdown of procedure then like everyone knows a lot of people know about the the caning of senator uh sumner where in congress one guy started to beat the shit out of another guy with a cane like two congressmen mm-hmm. uh and this was seen as like a big deal because you're like decorum and procedure and precedent, like everything that, that makes the country function on a, on a fundamental level, mm-hmm. like is breaking down. And when I see things like they're just like, yeah, fuck precedent of 200 years. We're just going to do what we want to win. Um, it's alarming, especially when half the country still supports them yeah. in spite yeah. of that. Like, or, I, or not not just half the country. It's the people that vote still support them. Yeah, half the, yeah. half the people that vote. Half the country, like what was it 51 percent people voted? In the last election, like yeah, uh, right. it's, it's it's like half the people have voted. Like majority yeah. of uh, the majority of the majority have not decided uh, who rules this country ever in America's history, like yeah. ever. Yeah, that's yeah, true. and they and, always but, disapprove of this stuff, but they're not doing anything to stop it. And that is the fear, like you were saying. And it's also dangerous on our side too, because we have to start stooping that level if yeah. we want to compete, or otherwise we will just go into like a supine position and give in. It, yeah, exactly. That's one of the two things that I want to finish with is that. It's easy to say we should take the high road because we are better than that. But, like, then you literally can't win. Mm-hmm. That's the problem is, like, it's not like we're going to take the high road and Mitch McConnell's going to realize that he was wrong. The guy has no fucking shame and is a total scumbag. There is no way that, like, we could... Because it's just going to keep getting worse until we fucking win the whole time. And one of the reasons why... Yeah, if I want to I... win at Evo and I keep picking Kirby and my opponents keep picking Fox, I'm not going to win. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So one of the things that I the, – the, the last thing I want to say is even if we can't win this, one of the, the reasons why it's so important to send the message to your senators or your blue – any of your blue state representatives or any of your Democratic representatives, even if they can't stop it, it is really, really important to show that you support their fight for it because I don't think that it's – that it's going to really affect this fight that much because I'm pretty resigned to the fact that we're going to lose and Kavanaugh's going to be in there. Mm-hmm. But it is important to send the message that they have progressives backing them. And if they vote for this guy, it's going to suppress the progressive vote. And that's the important part is you they 
you need to send the message to your representatives that you want them to fight really hard because there are people that maybe voted for Bernie because they're farther left and then didn't vote for Hillary because they didn't think anyone gave a shit about their voice. And it's important to send the message that now people do listen. Even if we lose, we have to fight. Otherwise, we're just going to roll over and let them fuck us. And that's just, to me, unacceptable. Mm -hmm. But whatever. This sucks. (laughs) So, Sly. (laughs) All right, so... Sly wouldn't uh, tell us what he wanted to talk about. Sly filibustered us. (laughs) Yeah, um, and so like if you want if you, if you want to uh, keep learning stuff, you can end the episode now. This is gonna be just a dumb shit. Now, <laughs> now this is where you should begin. <laughs> this is where this now is where you're in the real shit. Okay. So yeah. I decided to just for shits and giggles look up uh, Supreme Court cases of weird and funny names. Uh, <laughs> okay. Fuck you. okay. Yeah. So like I said, there's gonna be no fucking uh, intellectual value here whatsoever. So if you Wait, you say you out. say Supreme Court cases with funny names? Yes. I'm trying to think if I know. <laughs> I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna name, I'm gonna name them one by one and just see the reaction. Okay. See if you can guess what they're about. All right. So one, one case uh, from 2010 was called South Dakota versus 15 impounded cats. <laughs> impounded what, cats. Yes. Uh, what um, do you guys suppose that's about? Not to euthanize cats. Yeah, in shelter? that's what I'm thinking. Well, it's about apparently. Uh, in, uh, this is a weird thing in courts. I, I, I learned through this process. Apparently. If, if an object is being determined you in, in the court case and like not the defendant's uh, legal status, you name the case after the, um, the object. So in this case, it's a 15-pound of cats because they were uh, confiscated from a crazy woman living inside her car after she crashed uh, her car into a cop car. Basically, the cats were <laughs> running around her and she crashed into the cop car because she saw the... The cats were in the car? Yeah. Yes, they, she lived in the car with the cats. And they took the cats from her, and she wanted them back, and they said, no, you're fucking crazy, you can't have your cats back. The Supreme Court ruled on this. Wow. <laughs> the United States Supreme Court? Yes, United States Supreme Court. What Are you is... sure? It wasn't South Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did she pay for the lawyers to go up to the Court you, of Appeals? One gets provided for you, court. motherfucker. What? Yeah. Six, sixth Amendment, one gets provided for you. <laughs> All right, next case oh is Easter Seal Society for Crippled Children versus Playboy Enterprises. <laughs> what are you supposed to think about? I... I'm going to say that they wrongfully, uh, they some sort of charity scheme where Playboy didn't give them the right amount of money or something. I'm going to say play, uh, it's a charity scheme where they were supposed to get like magazines and instead they got Playboys and the charity was like, no, you can't uh, have this. Unfortunately, it's not even nearly that, that sexy. Uh, 1987, <laughs> Playboy took uh, the footage that the Easter Seal Society for crippled children used for their Mardi Gras footage. They, they took their Mardi Gras footage and used them in their Playboy videos. <laughs> oh, <wow>. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so people court said, oh, it's not, it's not a copyright violation because no one could tell from the footage that it was from that society. Oh, <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, so another case, another, yeah, United States uh, versus 40 barrels and 20 kegs of Coca-Cola. From <laughs> what do you think this is about? <laughs> I'm going to say this is about uh, trade. 40 barrels okay. versus... Either over state lines. They, they, God, okay, uh, Sly, there is no way these are U.S. Supreme Court cases. These must be state <laughs> Supreme Court this, one's defi- this one definitely was, because this one's a very important case. This is actually a very defined case. A landmark case. case. Yes. Okay, because South Dakota versus 15-pounded cats is a South Dakota Supreme Court case. <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe that, that may have been wrong, that one. I, I, I think I only found one source on that. But this one's definitely Supreme Court. And do you know why? Guess what this one's about. I think it's about tariffs or taxes. Or okay, night basically Coca-Cola had recently got rid of uh, cocaine, you know, from the Coca-Cola. That's why it's Coca-Cola because it had cocaine in it. Uh-huh. But they still kept in caffeine, and the FDA, uh, yeah, the FDA was like, yeah, you got rid of the cocaine, but not to get rid of the caffeine. The caffeine is also bad. It's still a drug. It's still harmful. You gotta get rid of it. 
And this was a case that decided that Coca-Cola didn't have to get rid of caffeine. Caffeine's okay, uh, uh, a drug to use in uh, products. So, oh, that's interesting. interesting. Yes. Oh, yeah, it says United States versus, so it has to be Supreme Court. Yes, yeah, so United States, another one is United States versus 95 barrels, more or less, of alleged apple cider vinegar. More or less. <laughs> yes, alleged apple cider vinegar. What is this about? Uh, prohibition. No, so apparently, this one's really, I just like the title because this was a really boring case overall. Basically, in 1924, uh, the Douglas Packing Company was selling vinegar, but it was made from dried apples, not fresh apples. So, so, so they got sued saying that's false advertising, and, uh, the, and they had to change the label after that. Wow. I, I have... I have one silly court case that I really love that's an actual Supreme Court case. Do you guys know about Nix v. Hedden in 1893? What is that? Nix v. what? Nix v. Hedden. No. Nix v. Hedden is the Supreme Court case that decided that tomatoes were vegetables and not fruits. Oh. <laughs> yes. Because of tariffs. Because of Arthur's tariffs. They, tariff, they taxed vegetables and fruits differently. And the reason why I think this case is so important is the Supreme Court actually said that colloquially, if enough people believe something, that it is true. <laughs> so even though tomatoes are fruits, they're classified as vegetables because oh enough people think they're vegetables. I just realized the end game of the Flat Earthers. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to go to the Supreme Court eventually. Flat Earthers. Yeah, well, the Earth is <laughs> flat, determined by America. Oh man. <laughs> oh, man. All right, next case is uh, Juicy Whip versus Orange Bang. What do you think this is about? Juicy versus Soda? Orange uh, Bang? Juicy Whip versus Orange Bang. Juicy Whip? I think uh, that there was a juice or, like, fruit soda that they said they stole their uh, formula. I think someone someone blew up a bunch of oranges, and Juicy Whip was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I like Daryl's story. Yeah, Brian's pretty much accurate. Basically, but instead of actual formula, they had... Um, Drink dispensing machine and uh, Supreme Court's like you can't fucking patent a juice dispensing machine. Like everyone fucking uses that fucking. <laughs> I have another good case from 2003, Toy Biz v United States, that ruled that uh, <laughs> action figures were toys and not dolls because they represented non-human characters like X Men and Fantastic Four figures. And apparently Marvel was really upset because they are, they said we've been trying to convince people that mutants were humans for 40 years. <laughs> Now the Supreme Court said they were unhuman. Yeah. <laughs> or, or more like inhuman. <laughs> All right, another one is United States v. 11.25 dozen packages of articles labeled in part Miss Moffat's show fly powders for drunkenness. Uh, just false advertising, right? <laughs> they couldn't find a simpler name for that one. Yeah, I think that that's that like snake oil patent medicine. Yeah. yeah. You know, selling stuff to make you healthy <clears throat> out of a truck or whatever. Yeah, so Ryan's perfectly right. Another important case, this was one of the FDA's first, uh, mis- uh, first actions, 1941. Ms. Moffis uh, claimed that it cured drunkenness, but it merely made people vomit <laughs> uh, from toxic tar uh, being inside the product. Would that, would that help sober you up? If you started, if you drank it right after you drank the alcohol, <laughs> so you didn't have time to metabolize it. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. a- and after they deemed it uh, uh, illegal, they destroyed all the packages. So. <laughs> Good. Fuck and them. another one is Schmuck versus United States. Schmuck? Schmuck versus United States. I'm just going to say, this guy named Schmuck, I thought it was funny. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a male frog case. Oh, man. Highbrow humor and, here. Yeah. And, and this is uh, some cases that didn't make him seem recorded. I still thought were funny. I am the B666 of the Lord of Hosts, and Edmund Frank McGillivray Jr. Now I am the B666 of the Lord of Hosts, I from Jim. I'm the B66 of Lord of Hosts. I'm the B66 of Lord of Hosts, Audla Hyphen. I'm the B66 of Lord of Hosts, I'm the B66. B66 Lord versus V Michigan State Police. 
This is commonly uh, abbreviated. It, I'm the beast, etc. V Michigan State Police. <laughs> <laughs> so what is this? Uh, one of those like sovereign? Uh, what are they? Like, free sovereignty yeah, guys? Who's, like, yeah, yeah. Who named sovereign himself? People. And then he's like, so, yeah, the sovereign citizen guys. Who's like, I don't have to listen to laws or something. Because I am my own nation. I I'm the mark of the beast. Or something. Uh, you're kind of. He is a crazy guy. Basically, this guy was protesting at the police capital, and uh, he got arrested by the police, and. Uh, he was banned two billion dollars in damages. <laughs> and he just changed his—he just changed his name to "I'm the B66" and then the whole entire shtick uh, in 1998. So this, before he got arrested, so yeah. I was gonna say that had to have been like the name that he gave them for this. It's like you want—oh, you want my name for this case? I'll tell you my name. People, people do this. They try to tie up the legal system just by uh, either suing a lot if they have the money to do it. Like the Church of Scientology does mm-hmm. this. They sue the IRS yeah. all the time just to clog up the system and then eventually the IRS doesn't want to fuck with them because it's like we're going to be in court for the next th- fucking 30 years yeah. um, so people like do stuff with their names and stuff too I have one more assholes. Supreme Court case from last year that I thought was really interesting that actually was a unanimous a unanimous ruling do you guys know Maddle versus uh, Maddle v. Tam the case about the slants slants? so no. the band there's a band called the slants and they are all Asian and they took the name to like mock that it's a uh, racial slur against Asian people. Mm-hmm. And they tried to copyright it, and you can't copyright racial slurs. But <laughs> they said it's not a racial slur when we use it because we're Asian. So we're allowed to use it. It's okay. We use it to fight racist ideas and stereotypes when we play like festivals and anime cons. And the Supreme Court ruled unanimously that they could take the name. Wow. Yeah. That is, a, that is yeah. a pretty interesting case, to be honest. I, I, I like... I wonder, like, that must be one of the most interesting jobs, honestly, to be a Supreme Court justice. Because, like, imagine, like, you have to rule, are action figures toys or dolls? Yeah. Or then you have to rule, like, can a group name themselves a racial yeah, slur? In if they are of that of race? Like, <laughs> racial, actual, like, problems. Yeah. It, must be, it must be more interesting to be a local judge, because then you get weird cases. Like, Batman v. Commissioner, can you guess what this is about? <laughs> Someone dressed up as the Batman and got mad at their local police commissioner. It's just a guy named Batman in <laughs> Uh, Ray Batman, and he's sued the commissioner of Internal Review because he's trying to get his, his son par- to be par- a partnership with his uh, farm. But the uh, commissioner's like, "No, fuck you." This is 1951. Yeah, Batman lost. <laughs> the first time. I always thought one of the best named, or one of the most aptly named cases, and not really in a funny way, is Loving versus Virginia, where that? which bans. Uh, it said that states can't ban interracial marriages anymore. It was a black uh, woman and a white man mm-hmm. wanted to get married. And it's just a great, great name. Loving versus Virginia. Loving one. Is that why it's for Virginia is for lovers? Is that a th- was that a thing before that? I don't know. <laughs> and the last one, which was my favorite, United States X X Rel Mayo v Satan and Staff. What can you think? What do you think this Satan is about? Satan and Staff. Church of Satanism. Final guess. Final answer. Wait, it'd have to be Satan. It's a man named Satan again. Wait, what? United States X what? Say that again. United States. United States X Rel Mayo v Satan and the Staff, 1971. Is it a fanfic versus Satan? No, uh, it was literally Satan. This guy tried to sue <laughs> Satan, uh, Gerald Mayo, and the court said, "We know that the plaintiff, we know that the plaintiff had failed to include with his complaint the required form of instructions for United States Marshal for directions as to service the process." Basically saying, "You didn't tell us how we're supposed to actually bring Satan to court for this trial." So fuck your case. <laughs> Oh, because that was X him, so he was trying to use the United States to sue Satan. Yes, uh. and that and that was my final pick. Hopefully, that was fun for you. Guys. Those are awesome. That was pretty good. I learned a lot. Yeah, I, I've already forgotten everything. <laughs>
These are really landmark cases. Yes. <laughs> Truly. Marbury v. Batman. <laughs> Batman v. Superman, Donald Justice, American. <laughs> the most important quirky of all, Batman v. Superman. <laughs> Martha won. <laughs> she truly did. Her okay. boys got along. Both of her boys. Both of hers boys. Both of hers boys. <laughs> okay, I think we've said enough about the Supreme Court. So... Thank you guys for listening. If you want more, you should join our Patreon for just $5 a month. You get a bunch of bonus episodes, divisive issues, and oops, have a new one every month. And right now we have, what, three new ones? Four? I mean, not new, but, like, in total. And something like that. And you also get all the old Comrade episodes that the four of us have done and a bunch of stuff. It's awesome. But you should also check out the rest of the shows at the Flying Machine Network at flyingmachine.network. I want to mention the main flagship network channel right now. They have... So Malcolm did an episode on Rogue One. That mm-hmm. was great. And Justin did one on... What's Warframe. That Warframe. Yeah, Warframe. And about like addictions you can have to games. Yeah, through dopamine. And you should check those out. And also join our Facebook group, the Flying Machine Explorers Guild. We just finished up Harry Potter Week. And I don't know nearly as much about Harry Potter as a lot of people in there. Yeah, it's scary. But it was kind of scary, but it was pretty interesting to read. And we have, you know, we have lots of fun stuff all the time in the Facebook groups you should join. And also join our Facebook group, Oops, I Talk Device of Issues, and the Discord links in the show notes as always. So thank you all for listening to Oops, I Talk Politics. I've been stacking the courts. I've been the beast, etc. <laughs> I've been 15 impounded cats. And I've been petite bougie. Oops, I know the podcast. I give you the incredible flying machine.